0: hey there duke fans and welcome to episode 83 of the duke basketball report podcast we are recording this on sunday september 17th and i am the host this week i am donald normally in washington dc but we'll get into where i am in just a second first let me bring in my partners in crime first off in denver we have sam klein sam what's going on dude
1: hello i'm doing great it's sunday morning uh Duke is three and zero in football, and we got the game
0: against UNC coming up. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all good. Oh, it's a great day to be a Duke bas- or a Duke football fan and Duke basketball fan. Uh, but before we get into Duke football, I want to bring in uh, from Atlanta, Jason Evans. But Jason, where are you?
2: I'm standing right next to you. That's where I am. <laughs> Donald um, came in town for the Atlanta United uh soccer game over the weekend they set a new record they had seventy thousand something fans and so he's here in my hometown and so i came to him he came to me and we are standing right next to each other and by the way folks it presents an interesting challenge because we both are wearing headphone microphones we have to be real careful are you getting a crazy echo right now you probably are
1: no no everything's good i, oh, I i'm well, the i'm the tester here so yeah so sound, so we have to great Donald and
2: I have to like mute our microphones so that they don't pick up each other at the same time. It's going to be a little crazy. The audio is probably going to sound terrible at some point, but it's fun because I'm standing next to one of my buddies. So nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah, we have to, you know, I I was in Atlanta and we were like, all right, we're going to make this work somehow, some way. And thank you to my friend Kelly uh, for lending us her apartment uh, so that we can record a nice quiet spot uh, right in the middle of uh, close to downtown Atlanta, which is a nice little view. Uh, but let's get into the let's get into everything. We'll start with Duke football 3 and 0 on the season after a 34 to 20 defeat of Baylor at home last weekend. Uh, it was a great great game when you're talking about big plays and on both sides of the ball and on both teams. Uh, but in the end Duke victorious 3 and 0. I'm going to start with Sam Sam. What do you got on this game? Give us give us your takeaways.
1: Well, I'm going to I'm going to dispute your description of this as a great great game. Um, it was pretty ugly. There were a lot of penalties, and it didn't. Even though Duke managed to score 34 points, I don't think that the Duke offense re- ever really got into the kind of rhythm that they had against Northwestern the week before. And and I am not as inside knowledge on how Baylor's defense is supposed to stack up against Northwesterns, but I know that the Duke offense was seemed confounded a lot. Uh, Daniel Jones spent a lot of time scrambling around inside the pocket and either getting sacked or making um making throws that that were not co- being completed um he was 20 for 35 on the day and uh and threw a pick um uh, for the second week in a row um which was the uh that that one at the end of the at the end of the first half that could have put duke ahead by 14 um in the end zone but but was unfortunately picked by baylor so jones never really got into a rhythm i'm not sure that it was necessarily all his fault because he spent a lot of time looking downfield and I, and you know, from the views we get on TV, you can't really see everything that's going on downfield. You don't know how well everybody's being covered, but assuming that he's, that he's looking at his intended receivers and none of them are open or none of them appear to be getting open. It's hard to fault Daniel Jones on that. And then on top of it, uh, his offensive line did not perform as well uh, this week as they did last week, but they, the, the offense was bolstered by Sean Wilson and Britton Brown, both having really nice days um, running the ball, Sean Wilson especially, um, but, but both of them uh, carried a lot of the load. They both had 18 carries. Britton Brown had one of the most impressive uh, rushing touchdowns that I have ever seen. He ran the ball about 30 yards and, and trucked like three or four Baylor receivers on his way to the end zone, but it was just like a, such an incredible display of force. So um, you know if you want to... If you want to talk about offensive MVPs, I think that Wilson and, and Brown, uh, Wilson probably slightly ahead, just because he he had a lot more yards, uh, had a couple more big plays, but but Britton Brown really held his own, and that's that's Jason's guy, right? Jason, did you did, do you agree on my take on at least how the offense looked?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think I do, and, and uh, I'm glad you pointed out my boy Britton Brown. Um, I thought he looked really good uh you know i'll take umbrage with one thing you said about sean wilson who was fabulous carrying the ball boy have you ever seen anyone as bad on punt returns as he was it was just awful he would let the ball he let the ball bounce probably three four times and we lost 15 plus yards every time he did it we're not talking about letting the ball bounce like, oh, it looks like it's going to be a touchback. These are balls bouncing at the 30 and the 40, and he's letting it bounce. Yeah, it's you know, losing 15. It was awful.
1: Baylor's punting was actually was really good, and it was weird. Given how many times we forced Baylor to punt, it was weird that Wilson kept being out of position for it, right? Because, because a lot of that you, – you point out that he was letting the ball bounce a lot – a lot of that was just because he was out of position and, and, and you don't really have a choice if you're like if you're running backwards or if you're if you're running sideways to get to those punts, um, it's not safe to to catch them and then turn around and start running because, because defenders might be right on top of you when that's happening. Um,
2: yeah, and, what and I if, thought was weird
1: was not just not just the drops uh, or not, not just letting them bounce, but also then once he had the ball, there were a number of times where he didn't signal for fair catches um, or didn't just go down immediately and looked around, saw a bunch of defenders and was like well, I think I better just start running backwards and juking everybody. And he, and he lost yardage a few times on those.
0: Do you think that, you know, you know, looking back, like he's been our main kickoff returner uh, and kickoffs and punts. A lot of people think, Oh, well, a lot of times you have the same guy doing those things, but it's a very different trajectory of the football and how the football is flying through the air uh, on a kickoff versus a punt. And I believe it was last week that, uh, Wasn't it TJ Rami that was doing a lot of the punt returns? So maybe it's a bit of uh, the fact that he wasn't really, you know, I don't know the word, like not prepared, not prepared, but like he just hasn't got that experience yet. He kind of has to get into the flow of fielding punts, which is a lot different than kickoffs.
2: So here's what I think about that. Uh, Roming was returning the punts and he had that big long punt return that came back for a penalty last week and it looked like he hurt his knee a little bit on it and after that they immediately went to Sean Wilson to do the punt returning and and they continued that this week. I really think I'd love for us to look for someone different. Not just because as you mentioned Sam, I mean he was Sean Wilson was negative 12 um on punt return yards. And when you consider that usually when you return a punt, you are, you're in the clear for at least three or four or five yards going forward before you, you know, before you even encounter anyone to be negative 12 on total punt return yards over his punts and to have them drop the way, you know, the bounce the way he let them bounce. It was really a terrible performance on, on punt returning, Uh, but also I don't want to risk Sean. Sean Wilson has been so good uh, out of the backfield for Duke, he, he's arguably the team's MVP at this point of the season or darn close to it. Let's not risk him on punts. Uh, let, let's get let's think Scotty Bracey, who has unbelievable speed. He's a redshirt freshman, wide receiver, really highly ranked coming out of high school. He struggled with injuries and stuff. But I'd love to see if Scotty Bracy could return, get the ball in his hands. Duke tried to get the ball in his hands at one point yesterday. Remember that name. I, I mentioned Britton Brown a couple weeks ago. And he he exploded uh, in this in this game against Baylor. Remember the name Scotty Bracy. At some point, it may not be this year, but at some point in his career, Scotty Bracy is going to be a great great player for Duke. Let's find someone else who can get back there and return those return those punts because um, I, we're we're just doing a terrible job of it so far.
1: Well, and I I would venture to guess that Cutcliffe is is giving lots of guys opportunities to at least practice the the punt returns um, and that. The probably discouraging thing at this point is that among the players who are expected to play this season, it seems like Sean Wilson is the is the one that is doing it best. Um, because he's gonna give that job to to whoever kind of stands out the most in practice. And you you mentioned not just Bracey, but I think that um guys like Jonathan Lloyd and maybe even um even among the the safeties and cornerbacks, there are a lot of guys that can catch the ball. Um, you know, Mark Gilbert's had a had a pretty good season um intercepting. Footballs. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to risk one of your one of your starting defensive backs doing the kick returns or the punt returns, but yeah, I, I think that it, it it is an issue uh, that Duke needs to address, and and that that the competition is going to get a lot tougher from here. Um, like I mentioned, Baylor, Baylor like lost this game themselves almost. Uh, not not to take much away from from Duke's performances and the especially the running backs, um, the way that they played, but. But Baylor was was like committing penalties left and right, um, you know, leading with the helmet, uh, all kinds of offsides, and 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 just stupid stuff all day. I, I can't imagine how frustrated Matt Rule their their coach was watching that performance because because it seemed like almost every other play Baylor was either giving up a bunch of yards or or committing all those penalties.
2: Yeah, um, they had eleven penalties, and some of them were really ill timed. Um, they 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 did not look good. And and by the way, let's let's be clear. I mean duke 1 by 14 which which was what right where the spread was right around you know the number but I, I didn't think this was a particularly good game by Duke. I, I thought that Daniel Jones's decision-making was a lot worse than it was a week ago. Um, the, the very early fumble, like the second, second play we had, there was a fumble that um, the official stat keeper gave it to Sean Wilson. I really think it was Daniel Jones fault. I think Jones is sort of pulling it back out on a read option kind of thing. And, um, and the fumble was caused. Um, I just thought our passing game seemed off. Now it was great that we were able to run it down their throats, with our passing game off the way it was. But uh, I, I, our wide receivers, I thought, missed a fair number of passes that could have been caught. Um, uh, we we just didn't seem as precise as we were a week ago. But that's on the offensive side of the ball. I thought we were great on defense again. Um, our li- Duke's linebackers. Oh, man. I mean, Duke has a really, really impressive set of linebackers. They were flying all over the field. We got a lot of turnovers this week again. And I want to give you guys a statistic. This is this is crazy. I'm about to give you a number. Um, I, Duke on third down on defense.
1: Yep. So, I, I was hoping you were going to bring this one up.
2: I looked up. So uh, during the game, I, I took notes during the game, one of the things I wrote was, I have to look up the stat. Duke has to be one of the best third-down defenses in college football today. Um, I, I, I haven't been able to find like national numbers to see who is the best, but Duke, D, Duke's defense on third down had it, four for 34 converting to first downs on the season. 4 for 34, that's 11%. That is a crazy number. And by the way, you know and, who has the Northwestern,
1: most? Northwestern only completed like one third down,
2: right? Northwestern only had one, Baylor only had one. NC Central had two. They were 2 for 12 on third down. That's the the best anyone has done all season is to get two third down conversions. I'm going to give you some some knowledge, gentlemen. If you only get two third down conversions, you're not winning the game. The way Duke has played on third down has allowed us to dominate, at least you know, on a dif- from the defensive standpoint, every single opponent we've played this year. And uh, I, I, to me, um, that's been the story of the season so far, the, 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 the improvement of the Duke defense and the speed that they play at. Uh, and, and in addition to the third downs, the turnovers. They're creating turnovers left and right.
1: And, and, and I want to also point out from your part of the preview last week, we talked about how athletic Baylor's wide receivers are, and I would say that that was that was probably other than their defensive line. You know, their defensive line on defense, and and when Baylor was on offense, their wide receivers were the stars of the show because um, a couple of those guys. I mean, they have two or three guys that I guess are on the track team. They're really tall, they're really fast, and if they got any space and the ball, uh, they were gone for touchdowns. And they scored three touchdowns all. On on long passing plays, not necessarily the ball being thrown very far, but the ball being put in a place where um, uh, guys like Mims and and Platt were just able to to run away from all of Duke's DBs. And you know, on, on the one hand, I think you you could be inclined to fault Duke's defensive backfield for letting those happen, um, but I'm not sure that that a lot of other teams that we're going to play have the kind of explosive athleticism in. In the wide receiver core that Baylor has, so um, as long as Duke can continue to bring pressure from the D line and, and from the linebackers down on quarterbacks, um, it shouldn't be as much of a problem. Even though you know you could look at the stats from from yesterday and think, "Wow, that the wide receivers you know when they when they got the ball, they really did a lot with it." Um,
0: so kind of containing it where where they're able. And you know what? They're just they're just fun to watch. Like you know, if you think about you know, Duke or Duke teams from previous years, there was always that kind of skepticism about the defense. Like the defense would come up with a, a big player too, but it wasn't one of those things where you were like, yo, this defense is about to just murder uh on, it, on you know, or it would on be this like, possession. Or it would be like, you know,
1: everything like everything's only being held together because Jeremy Cash is back there.
0: Yeah, you're you're kind of and like – If you're kind of sitting not near Jerry on cash,
1: cash, then we're screwed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But now, like, you, you know, these first few games, you're sitting there. Like, if you're in this – I can't wait to go to the game in a couple of weeks because, you know, usually the defense is when you're like, all right, I'm going to go get a soda because this is going to be probably really painful to watch. But it has not been this year. They've been really fun to watch. The motivation that they give each other and the momentum that they take from each possession is very, very contagious. And you can see it kind of trickling to the offense – uh, for some of these big plays. And, and I think that is why we've, you know, we've closed out some of these games, you know, that is what you want to see a defense who in the fourth quarter, you can rely on a defense that you know, is going to get a big play on any, at any given moment, on any given possession, uh, especially when we really need it. And, you know, the best that Jason was giving with third down conversion, that's exactly what you want to see from your defense. If you want to, you know, win some of these bigger ball games.
1: Yeah. And, J- and Jason highlighted also the, the linebackers having a great day, and you mentioned the camaraderie. I think that the announcing team uh, on the game I can't remember who they were, but they um, brought up at some point that that linebackers Joe Giles Harris, and Ben Humphreys are like are like are the, they're they're such good friends it's like they're an old married couple um, which <laughs> which is adorable, but it is also probably good for team production because they can kind of get on each other and and um, you know, when when one makes a play, it just motivates the other to to one up him. So I think you see Humphreys yesterday seemed like he was all over the place. He made he made uh, a couple of good tackles in the backfield that I was really impressed by. So uh, I, I want to keep seeing that going forward. Do we want to um, quickly touch on UNC and the game we have coming up this week? Uh, the earliest game we've ever had against the Tar Heels.
0: Absolutely. Uh, let's get right into it the big game, usually it's in November that we're talking about Duke UNC and football, but now we are talking about September 23rd, uh, September 23rd at Keenan stadium, three 30 kickoff. I want to say uh, Duke, uh, Duke UNC and it is going to be a game where, you know, before the season you were probably thinking maybe Duke is two and one um, and UNC uh, might be two and one, but it's a very different, uh, you know, set of circumstances we're looking at Duke is three and O oh, uh, one and two UNC on the season after beating Old Dominion this year or this past weekend, uh, but they've had a couple of tough losses as well. So I will start with you, Sam. Give me what to expect this weekend uh, when we f- take on the tar heels.
1: So Duke's team from last year to this year is very similar. Uh, you know we're we're still talking about guys like Sean Wilson and Daniel Jones and Ben Humphreys who were all who were all key contributors last year. UNC is not that way. Um, they've got a new quarterback, Chaz Surratt, who I think J- Jason's going to tell us a little bit more about. Um, but uh, Mitch Trubisky is gone. Uh, a lot of their, a lot of their key wide receivers like uh, Ryan Schweitzer are gone. Um, so they are they're really rebuilding this team um, on both sides of the ball. And I think that that's where Duke really wants to take advantage of of their lack of experience. Um, so UNC has played two games against other Power Five schools so far. I think they lost as expected to Louisville, even though the game was at home, they only lost by 12 points. Uh, and Lamar Jackson was a total freak against them. But unless he's playing Clemson, Lamar Jackson is almost always a total freak. So you can't really fault that. And and even though we want to talk about Daniel Jones being right up there in the best quarterbacks conversation, I think he still has a little bit more to prove before he's quite on Lamar Jackson's level. So, but that being said uh expect expect to, to put up points against UNC um they've given up a lot of points in all their games and then i also wanted to go back their their season opening game against uh against Berkeley was 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 pretty bad um Berkeley hasn't been that good all all that good this year and UNC lost to them in Chapel Hill so i think that that's the biggest indicator that this UNC team is not quite um where they want to be the one guy from um from Duke's game last year against Carolina that really stood out was Sean Wilson um, had a, had a big rushing day against UNC last year. And I think that with their defense replacing a lot of guys, especially on the defensive line, I would expect Sean Wilson to have another big game against them. Um, Daniel Jones also had a nice day last year against UNC through for 240 yards in the win. So, um, so, you know, the Duke offense is going to produce and and hopefully um, Duke has a little bit of a plan for how to stop Chaz Surratt at quarterback. Jason, did you want to talk to us a little more about the former Duke commit, who is now UNC's starting quarterback as a redshirt freshman?
2: Sure, yes, yes, I do. Uh, So folks may remember, uh, I want to say it was two years ago. It may have been three years ago. that uh, I think it was three years ago, now that I think about it, that Chaz Surratt, um, he had committed to Duke. It was a pretty big deal. He was considered... um, the the best quarterback, one of the best football prospects in the state of North Carolina, when he committed, and uh, uh, he committed to Duke, and then fairly soon, fairly quickly after committing, I want to say it was less than a month, he he flipped and he decided he was going to go to UNC instead, and uh, right that right there, that on its own <clears throat> would be enough for us to sort of really not like the guy, but there was all this other stuff going on with the commitment at the time. Um, he had a younger brother who was a also a really good football player who uh, who also committed to UNC at the very same moment. And then this then word came out that they were both going to also walk on the UNC basketball team that they wanted to play two sports. And and there was some, I mean, who knows what's true and what's rumor and innuendo, but there were some rumors, there was some talk that, that one of the reasons that they had flipped and that the Surrats had decided to go to UNC instead of Duke was that they uh, they didn't want to play for Coach K or Coach K didn't want them to play basketball, that he didn't think they were good enough to play basketball. So there's all this stuff going on. So fast forward to today, a few years later, uh, Chaz Surratt is not walking on the UNC basketball team. He's only playing football for them. His younger brother ended up decommitting from unc and is now at wake forest and he's also not playing basketball at wake forest he's a wide receiver i think he's redshirting this year he's a freshman i believe this year or he may be on his way whatever whatever it is um really crazy history of of Chaz surratt uh getting to unc and getting to where he is today but where he is today is the starting quarterback as a redshirt freshman um he he's as you would imagine he's he's big he's strong and he's very very athletic um and and you know, stopping him is going to be absolutely essential for Duke. Uh, He's very accurate with the ball. I mean, I've been, uh, the the little bit I've seen of him, I've been very impressed with it. Uh, This guy's completing almost 70% of his passes. Now he's not throwing it way, way downfield all that much. They seem to be doing a lot of stuff in the intermediate game, Um, but it's working pretty well for them. Uh, I want to give you some stats uh, about Carolina. And I think these are going to really show you uh, the difference in these two teams. UNC is averaging 39 points a game. They're averaging 450 total yards a game. Um, those are very similar numbers to, to what Duke has done this year. And, and it's worth noting, uh, you could probably argue that because they played Louisville and and because Cal is a fairly good team, I, I think there's a, a strong argument that UNC's faced a tougher schedule uh, than Duke has thus far. I mean, certainly Louisville's better than than anyone Duke has played. So for UNC to be averaging about as many points as Duke does and getting about as many yards as Duke uh, as Duke has, uh, you know, it says something about the quality of their offense. But let's talk about the quality of their defense because I think this is where Duke is uh, head and tails better. And we've talked the past two weeks, we've spent time talking about how good Duke's defense has been, how good it has been taking the ball away on third down and everything else. UNC is giving up, get this, Ready for this number? They're giving up an average of 497 yards per game. 497 yards per game they're giving up, and they give it up in the air and on the ground. They're giving up 323 yards on the ground, 173 yards rushing. They give up 173 yards rushing per game. Now,
1: yes, all right, it so, is worth so main- So, Jason, so Jason, yeah. predict a total, a rushing total for Wilson and Brown.
2: Well, so it's interesting you bring that up because. Uh, Duke has run for more than 200 yards in all three of our games. And, you know, there are certain rules in football. If you get 200 yards on the ground, unless you're Georgia Tech and you never, ever, ever throw the ball, if you're getting 200 yards on the ground and you're a team that has a relatively balanced attack, which Duke does, you're winning the game. Um, uh, Duke has won all three games easily. And one of the reasons why is because we've gotten so many yards on the ground. So if you're asking me for a number from this game, I'm going to say 220. Um, and I, I, by the way, I think Duke is going to win this. game. I think Duke's going to be about a two, maybe three point favorite in this game. And I think we will win. And I think a lot of why we will win will be the rushing game. I think we'll get to about 220. What do you think, Sam?
1: Yeah, I, I think that 220 sounds like a good number. I, I would even push it higher because um, be, because we know that that's going to be a, a key advantage for us. And because this game is probably going to be a track meet in general. So, um, yeah, I, I 235. Um, I'll, be, I'll be restrained, but I'll still be optimistic um, between, between Wilson and, and Brown. Um, I, I'm, I, I think Duke should win this game, um, but I also see that, that UNC has a lot of pieces to, to be able to match up with us.
0: Yeah, I think the... On defense, I think our defense. This is a you know, it's a good test for them because again, like you both have said, it's going to be a track meet. But also in the minds of, of of this team, it's the first of four tests I think in a row. You know, you have North Carolina, then they have Miami at home a week, or not even a week later, at Virginia, and then against Florida State. So this defense is really going to be tested over the next four games. How do they deal with that? How do they respond to? The adversity of playing, you know, teams that have a lot, you know, all these teams have really good uh, downfield presence and they have a good offense. Um, I think the momentum that they bring to the table, the motivation, the energy that they bring to the team has been very important this year. And if they can continue that against UNC, I think it's going to really feed into everything, including the offensive uh, stats that Jason was talking about uh, with with regards to the rushing game. They feed off that. You can see this whole team have a pep in their step when the team goes through, when the defense gets a three and out or, you know, gets a big play and and forces a turnover or even forces a fumble and doesn't recover it. That sort of thing is where this team really, I feel has been different than uh, the last couple of years because they find that they, they, they maximize that momentum and they expose the team uh, that they're playing. And I think that is going to be the real test for this Saturday will the defense be able to step up and make these plays on the road against our biggest rival to keep the Liberty Bell or the Victory Bell? Because if we can do that, we're going to win this game, and it's not going to be uh, one where we're really breathing hard at the end. I think it's going to be a track meet, but good thing is I think our guys are prepared for a track meet, and I think they can run with the best of them.
1: If Duke is about to steal the Liberty Bell, we're going to have a very different show next week.
0: You know what? With with a positive attitude, you can do anything in life. So that's true. I, <laughs> I think you could whatever bell they want to go after. I'm all for it, but within legal grounds. All
2: right, guys. I think we're ready to uh, to we've done some football. I think we got. Do we have a little tiny bit of basketball? We got a little bit of basketball, right?
0: We can do a little bit
1: of basketball. Um, Donald, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us about the discussion we're about to have?
0: Okay, so we don't have any basketball news this week, but interesting. Uh, topic entered on the boards uh, a couple days ago, um, started by Jason, but on the, uh, uh, a question by mountain devil. So there was a poll called what one and done player do you most wish came back for a sophomore campaign? And it has sparked a lot of discussion. Um, and we're going to take it to the, to the podcast. So I'm going to start with Jason, Jason, who is the one and done player you th- wish most came back, uh, or most, of which came back for a sophomore campaign.
2: Um. So,
0: I, when I posted this
2: thing, uh, we got a little oh, echo. Start today. over. So start over. Fine. You gotta that's do. It. No, 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 no. We'll leave. The, we're gonna leave the echo in because people need to know the reality of Dalton and I standing next to each other, trying to mute our microphones in time to talk to each other. <laughs> uh, this, this no. Is some so.
1: Great content. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: When when I posted this thing, so Mountain Devil, uh, you know, asked this question just offhanded in, in one of the recruiting threads in the 2018 recruiting thread. And I went, God, that's such a good question. Um, and the way he posted it, he said, it's got to be Kyrie, right? And I said, I thought to myself, you know, gosh, if I really think back on it, um, I, I'm picking someone different than Kyrie Irving. And I can't, I sort of can't believe that because... Uh, Kyrie Irving went on the very next year. Kyrie Irving was NBA rookie of the year <laughs> and, uh, and watching him play is incredibly fun. And we were, we were gypped out of a full Kyrie Irving. And I'm sure one of you guys is probably going to end up talking about him, but the guy I picked, as I looked back at all the, all the guys who'd been one and done at Duke, um, the guy I picked was Lou Aldang. Um, and, uh, part of that is because I'm an old timer, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, Sam, I'm not sure you were. You were uh, really super engaged with Duke basketball back when uh, Luol
1: was. By by the time by the time Luol Deng was in the program, yes, I was fully engaged.
2: Okay, good. I wanted to make sure of that. But the reason I picked him was, uh, I have two of the all time all time greats at Duke, um, the uh, are JJ Redick and Sheldon Williams, and they never got uh, a national title. Um, And if Luol Deng stays. For 2005, Uh, folks may forget we were really good in 2005. We were a a a heck of a team. Um, I'm I'm 90% sure that's the year we lost to LSU in the Sweet 16. Yeah, 2006.
1: 2006, we lost to LSU. Oh five, I believe we lost to Michigan State. Michigan State. State.
2: Yes. Uh, In any event, we were a great team in 2005, and the one thing we were sort of missing was. Uh, was a third guy, along with Sheldon Williams and J.J. Redick, uh, especially at the power forward position. And lo and behold, that would have been Luol Deng. Um, and uh, and people may not remember, uh, you know, Luol's career has faded a little bit in the NBA now, but boy, for several years, Luol Deng was right on the cusp of being an NBA all-star. I think even he may have even made a couple all-star teams. A really great player who could do it all. And uh, and And the other thing is there's there's kind of a little bit of pain in my heart because we all thought he was going to come back. We thought it was really likely he was going to return to Duke. There hadn't been a lot of chat back then one and done wasn't as big a deal. There hadn't been a lot of chatter about him turning pro. Um, uh, And he ended up, he, he had to go because um, there's sort of some weird political reasons having to do with his family and its relationship to the government of his hometown uh, of his home country, uh, Nigeria, I'm 90%. Sudan, I'm so sorry, Sudan. Thank you, Sudan. <laughs> Donald, correcting <laughs> me. Um, but uh, it's a complicated story. But we really thought we were going to get him back, and I, I, I think if he comes back, uh, Duke, uh, to say we would the, the prohibitive favorite. I mean. 2005. You're adding another trophy. There's there's like no question in my mind. He was an incredibly complete player, um, at uh, on on both ends of the floor. He would have been the perfect complement to what Sheldon was doing and what JJ was doing. Um, we, we win another we win another national title if he comes back. And so, uh, and and we win a national title for guys who I've always been paying that they don't have a national title ring. So that's why I picked Luol Deng. Sam, who you got?
1: So I, I like that pick a lot and and your reasoning is sound. The player that I wanted to highlight um, was Tyus Jones. because So we had the national championship in 2015, and we had the three one-and-done players. It was Jones, Jolly Okafor, and Justice Winslow. And then the next year, um, those guys were gone. We brought in um, Brandon Ingram. We still had... And then we also brought in Derek Thornton, uh, along with the, the rest of the core that had come back um, from the year before. And Grayson Allen had a great season. Uh, Marshall Plumlee had a great senior season. Emile Jefferson um, was hurt at the end of the year, um, but, uh, or for most of the year, but, but he also had a good season. I think that that team, you know, Thornton was sort of slated to play point guard on that team, and it never, it never really clicked for him. Um, Grayson Allen had to shoulder that load a lot. Um, Luke Kennard handled the ball a lot. It just seemed like Duke had a lot of of guys out of position trying to do more than they needed to. Um, certainly, Justice Winslow would have helped, but we had a player who sort of had a similar role on the team to Justice Winslow in Brandon Ingram. Jolly Locofort would have helped a lot, but we had guys like Jefferson and Plumlee around. Um, so I, I... Would I, I would like to think that that team would have really improved and would have had a much higher ceiling if they had a distributor and a playmaker like Tyus Jones at point guard, which wouldn't have forced Thornton to be kind of out of position, uh, or at least you know sort of out of his um, out, out of his readiness because um, he had to commit late and and yeah. All, all that. by, by the way, if, if
2: if Kyrie comes back, I think Derek Thornton waits a year. I don't think Derek Thornton comes to Duke. The, I, I don't think he Jones, would reclassify. Tyus Jones
1: comes back. Yeah. So, um, right. So, and, and, and in that case, Derek Thornton would have been on the team this year, and a lot of things would have been different if Tyus Jones had returned. Um, Thornton might probably still be in the Duke program at this point. But that all being said, I think that Tyus Jones would have improved that 2016 team a lot and would have the, – the, the pieces would have kind of all fit a little better. Um, Kennard wouldn't have had to play quite as much as he was sort of forced to. Um, Duke, as you as you guys recall, because we were doing this show at the time, um, had a really thin rotation, and, and basically every player was playing a lot of minutes. Um, guys were getting tired. Every game kind of came down to foul trouble for Duke. So um, Tyus Jones being there, I think, would have smoothed a lot of those problems out. I don't know if that team had quite the potential that 2005 had. Yeah, hey, um, hey Sam. But. Sam.
2: So I was going to ask you a question. Do you think if he comes back, if tie, we get ties back in 2016, does Duke win another national title?
1: I don't know if they win another national title, I know that they're competitive enough too, um, and that, what did we end up being like a three or a four seed that year? Um, we, and I think 2016 was like one of the only times that, um, Duke lost in the tournament. We lost to Oregon and, um, it was one of the only times that i remember watching the ncaa tournament and being a duke fan and and duke losing in the place where the, where you know the numbers say they should have and being like okay and and i think when we did a season wrap last year we kind of said we were like you know we know that this team is flawed we know that it that it doesn't have a lot of depth we know that the point guard situation is is not ideal and we 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 kind of shrugged our shoulders and we like you know, it's fine that Duke lost in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, if if Jones is is back, Duke is probably a one or a two seed because everything fits a little better. And yeah, I think that they're at least they're at least at that point in the in the top of the conversation for winning a national title. Even though I don't, I, I'm not sure that they actually get there. Um, but but it at least puts them in a good position, and it kind of has a ripple effect on the rest of recruiting and and who's around because, like you said, Derek Thornton probably doesn't come that year. If Tyus Jones is is still on the team, he probably comes the year after. Duke would have had him this past year, and that would have uh, maybe fixed a lot of the problems around you know Grayson Allen having to shoulder a lot of the load and Luke Kennard having to shoulder a lot of the load. And you know Thornton Thornton flashed enough talent for us to think that um, it, it's possible that that he could uh, he could be gone after you know two years perhaps in the program, kind of like what we thought Frank Jackson would have been until he decided to leave this year. Um, so things things kind of move around a lot. I don't think that it like ultimately affects whether like Trey Jones comes years later, but I think that it, it yeah, smooths but, you know, out a I lot
2: bet, of I problems bet we don't. I bet we don't get Trevon Duval. I bet Trevon Duval is not at Duke today. Because I agree with you. I think Derek Thornton would still be at Duke, and he was a highly regarded enough recruit that I think Trevon Duval probably doesn't come. Not I'm not saying that Thornton's better than Duvall but I think there would have been enough competition at point guard that Duvall would have looked
1: elsewhere and it is interesting kind of looking at the whole situation here that there's so much more intricate like like recruiting what ifs related to the one and done era around when Tyus Jones was here rather than when Louis Dang was here because it wasn't like you know it wasn't like Duke wouldn't like Marcus Nelson was going to transfer because Louis Dang was was in the program or, or something like that um uh you know that Back, back in the good old days of the early 2000s, I think that there was less, um, less kind of expectation among those top recruits that, you know, if I go to this school, I'm going to have to play 25 or 30 minutes as a freshman. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Um, so the, the Tyus Jones situation is interesting, but I wanted to, I wanted to give it to Donald and, and have him uh, kind of go for what Mountain Devil, I guess, probably thought was the most obvious pick. Right,
0: Donald? Absolutely. Um, you know, you guys gave great example, great, great answers. Um, I don't disagree with any of them. Um, obviously if you're looking at the list, that mountain devil or the, the poll, uh, that the topic that mountain devil started, you're looking at all of them. You say, can we have all of them back please? But, um, I I think in the end, like Kyrie Irving is the one that I would most wish had come back. And it's for a very simple reason. Um, over the course of my lifetime watching college basketball, and I know this is a very big statement to say, there is no one who, has who in my mind, energized and electrified college basketball in a very short time than he did uh, in the nine games that he played in the regular season and then the one in a couple of the tournament. The Michigan State game, I was at that game, and obviously everyone, when you look at the career of Kyrie at Duke, uh, you point at that game. And I've never been to a college basketball game where everyone, and I mean everyone, was either on their feet or on the edge of their seat when he had the ball. Uh, it was Donald, it's incredible. Donald,
1: you know, can I interject really quick? Do you know why that game was so electric? Do you know why, do you know that? why that game was so electric? Because my a cappella group sang the national anthem. Oh, boom. I did hear it. Yeah, so, so we, we so, met in a different got out time. Shout out to Speak of the Devil. We, we crushed it that night. Anyway, sorry, keep talking about that game. That, that's one of my favorite experiences, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, when you see, you know, you're looking at the game and you see people, oh, you know, they're into it. They're energized. They're, you know, the cam, you know, cam and crazies were going, we're going, we're going crazy the whole time. But watching everyone in the stands, if they weren't standing, they were on the edge of their seat. It was like, what is this guy going to do next? And really, it was at that point where we realized that Kyrie Irving could do anything he wanted. And it's, it's probably the game that you look at the most because the next game was the game against Butler where he injures his toe uh, and is done for the rest of the regular season. So, yeah, I wanted to see him back another year because I wanted to see him completely destroy college basketball at, at, at full health. I think he could have carried any team he wanted, uh, at a, you know, at full tilt to a national title. And even 2012 where we ended up losing in the first round – Uh, to Lehigh. I think that's a Lehigh year. I don't want to I don't like remembering that those games. But if you have that team, then with with Kyrie on there, it's a very different attitude. It's a very different ball game. When you know that this guy is going to have the ball in his hands every possession and can go off for 30 points a night. Um, And and that was really what I think a lot of people uh, and I think that's probably why he was probably the most uh, selected. Person on that poll so far because he so electrified us in eight games that unlike anything that I've ever seen it really left us wanting more and it's kind of you kind of feel disappointed that we weren't able to get that but having said that I think he made the correct decision in going pro after one year because again he was rookie of the year he's one of the the best players in 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 the NBA uh over you know best young players for sure and he continues to dominate and really is being you know, viewed as one of the top guys in the NBA today. So he did what he was supposed to do. He got out when, you know, at the, at the time that, you know, he was number one pick, but man, if we had had number two, one more year, or, I'm sorry, number one, number one, one more year, it would have been so great to watch. And it really, it would have been one of the most exciting years of college basketball ever, in my opinion. I Jason. think that one of
1: one of the only downsides to that would have been <laughs> that we might not get the the one great Austin Rivers highlight from the UNC game that year because Kyrie probably has the ball in his hands for that possession. But Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. Uh, that that game's not that close if Kyrie's if Kyrie's back. there, there
2: oh, is yeah, no sure. last second shot against UNC. So right. the uh, the thing I was gonna say was if you you know, Donald talked about you know, he won rookie of the year. If you look at Kyrie's stats in the NBA against the best defenders in the world, Kyrie averaged 18 and a half points a game. He shot 40% from three with the further back three point line. Can you imagine what he would have done? He would have wrecked college basketball. Um, it would have been a lot of fun. It would have been a lot of fun. I can totally understand why he's winning the poll
1: that that 2012 team despite losing in the first round was really good again kind of kind of like talking about some of the other teams that we've addressed here that these what if teams um 2012 was one of those teams that had they had a lot of firepower right Austin Rivers was on that team Seth Curry um Mason Plumlee kind of starting to to round into his his final form Ryan Kelly the same way Ryan Kelly was great on that team um and and you had yep. senior Miles yep. Plumley. That team had a lot of pieces. It didn't have, um, it didn't have somebody that brought it all together. I think that that we sort of hoped that Austin Rivers would be that sort of unifying force, but eh, unfortunately he wasn't. So uh, I, you know, when when the question got asked and when the poll went up, I thought there are three good answers, and and I think that we just gave them. Um, and and even though I I think that Tyus is the best pick. I think that all the 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 other two guys you guys highlighted are are also really interesting, especially because um the teams around them really could have used them.
2: you know let me mention one more and 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 it's worth noting that the the three guys we mentioned are getting the vast, vast, vast majority of all the votes i I think it would have been I don't wish he would have come back. I think there are some various problems that would have you know involving eligibility. But if Corey Maggette had come back, I would have enjoyed watching him because he was uh, he was as fun to watch as just about anyone that's worn a Duke uniform, because that dude played with his he looked down into the basket. He played above the rim and it was uh, and, and he was pretty reasonably skilled for a guy who was had that kind of crazy, ridiculous athleticism. Um, so uh the the other one that I'll mention I mean we could talk about all these different guys but I think Corey Maggetti I it, we I, I don't I don't think we necessarily win another national title in 2000 um the people may recall the 2000 team was was dominated by three freshmen Carlos Boozer, Jason Williams and Mike Dunleavy. Um it was an incredibly young team uh Chris Carwell and Nate James were sort of the only guys back from 1999. They had to step up and, and sorry and Shane Battier. Uh, They had to step up in a very, very big way um, and become team leaders. Uh, But Corey Maggette was just incredibly, incredibly fun to watch. And the notion of watching him with another year of maturity on his body would have been, it would have been cool. It would have been fun.
0: And you know what? I think that's going to wrap it up for episode 83 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, Thank you to Jason. Thank you to Sam, as always. Thank you to Atlanta for hosting me uh, this weekend. Uh, Obviously, it's go-to-hell Carolina week. We'll check you guys next week. But for now, Duke Band, take us home.